Welcome to Checking In, a weekly podcast from Hotel Owner, the UK's trusted source of hotel industry news and analysis. Each week we meet a new guest and learn their story, all the highs and lows, triumphs and disasters they've faced and how they got through to the other side. If you like the podcast, make sure to subscribe on whichever podcast platform you listen to. To get more industry insight, head to hotelowner.co.uk and subscribe for unlimited access. If you're interested in sponsoring episodes of the podcast, drop us a line at podcast at hotelowner.co.uk. I'm Michael Northcott, your host for this week's episode, and I spoke to Harrow Dorsch, the owner of Weaverham Cheshire-based B&B, The Hive at 52. We discussed his wide-ranging previous career in hospitality in both Holland and the UK, why and how he decided to set up his own B&B business, his thoughts on OTAs, and his approach to social media marketing. Welcome to this episode, Harrow. It's good to it's good to meet you. Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me. Um, so, been looking, having a little look at your CV, and there's been there's quite a bit on there uh, that's uh, I think will be of interest to our audience. So, um, you started your career front of house at the Trust House, Forty Cumberland Hotel, stints at the Thistle Kensington, Strand Palace, Regent Palace. There's t- tons in there, so it'd be great to get a bit of background from you on the shape of your CV, the, the different uh, highlights that you've been through, just to give us a flavour of, of your career so far. Right, yeah, so um, I'm originally from the Netherlands, um, so came into the London in 1994 and started off as a chef uh, for nine months, um, sort of found out that I couldn't really make a career in it because I didn't have MVQs or City and Guilds and things like that and decided to move over to front of house. Uh, got a chance at Trust House Forte Cumberland Hotel, so went in straight in the deep end, 900-bedroom hotel. Um, from there, I uh, worked at the uh, Kenston Park Hotel for a short period, and then I got a chance to move to the Strand Palace and start uh, in group reservations. I did that and um, then moved to head office for a, a short stint um, to do a bit of group sales, and then I had a chance to move to an even bigger hotel, the Regent Palace Hotel on Piccadilly Circus, which is no longer a hotel now. Uh, and I had a chance to start my first senior manager position as a revenue manager, which um, was an amazing experience. It's an amazing hotel. Um, did that for a couple of years and then moved to the Regent Park Hotel, uh, which was at the time a Holiday Inn. As front of house manager, but that was a very challenging uh, position because it was just after September the 11th where the whole market just fell out. Um, so it was very, very hard going. Um, and then I moved to uh, moved out of London, really, uh, for a job. Uh, holiday in Guildford, did that for quite a few years as a rooms manager and then made my way up to operations manager, looking after the, the majority of the hotel. And then children came along and we sort of looked at what are we going to do? Are we going to stay down London southeast or move up north where my wife is originally from? So we decided to move up to Cheshire. Uh, had a position in Manchester for Cobthorn. Uh, worked at the Imperial on Blackpool. Um, worked at the Chester Grosvenor uh, for a short uh, stint. Uh, Park Royal Hotel, which was a Q Hotels. Then moved from Kyoto's into Liverpool, worked at the Hard Day's Night, Beatles-themed hotel, um, and ended up in the holiday in Liverpool before I started uh, looking at opening my own small B&B. So there we are, that's uh, 29 years in three minutes. And it's such a wide array of experience as well. I've got a couple of questions for you on that for sure. So I just wondered, 
first of all, coming over from Holland to the UK, firstly, what prompted that decision uh, in terms of the thought process and, and how, did, how did it differ in terms of experience? Um, well, I did hotel and catering management in Holland uh, as a study. And uh, part of that, I had to do a placement, uh, an industrial placement, which I did in Brighton for five months in 1990. Had an absolutely wonderful time, both work-wise and social-wise. Went back to Holland, did another one, uh, five months stint uh, in a casino in Holland. Had to do national service. I was one of the last ones who had to do national service in Holland. And um, after coming out of there, I was like, what am I going to do? So that's why I decided to come to London and I got a job as a chef. That was the only job I, I was able to get. Um, so um, why I loved England, um, some people might think I'm crazy, but I had a brilliant time and um, 29 years later, I still love it. Um, and um, the difference really is that even these days that in Holland, the hospitality industry is still seen as a, as an, as a career. Well, Sadly, in this country, it's still not seen as a career. It's more like, well, I'm a student, I work in a hotel, I do my study and then I leave, um, which is a shame because it's a great industry. Um, and um, yeah, that's really... And in terms of having started off uh, uh, as a chef and then making the change, the transition to being front of house, wh what, what skills did you pick up as a chef which you could then transfer or, or did it feel, was it a radical departure to, to doing something new? Well, it, it, was, it was a radical departure in a way. Uh, obviously, when I did my placement, that was a chef. In the army, I was a chef. But my study was very generic, so chefing, waitering, but also man management courses and things like that. And the reason why I moved, as I said earlier, is that I didn't have the right uh, uh, qualification, really, to, to, to move up quicker as uh, chef. So I decided to move into front of house. And I don't regret it at all. Uh, I loved it. And I think I was lucky as well at the time with Trust House Forte. They're probably one of the, the leaders of the hotel business. And the, the training was just incredible. Uh, I don't think you'll have that anymore now, but I had two weeks of desk training purely on the systems, on the procedures and everything like that. And I think that that helped a, a lot because at the, like my experience is that we just get a new person in, we train them for a day and then off they go on the desk. Now, I know it's a generalization, but that's a lot of my experiences within the, the industry. Um, so my training was very thorough. Uh, when we then went on the desk, you still had somebody shadowing you for two weeks and it was proper shadowing. Um, and then you went, you were on your own. Um, and, uh, but it, it was great. I mean, we had supervisors and managers that had been there a while and they were, they were tough, you know, they were tough taskmasters. But as soon as they realized that you could do the job, they let you get on with it. So um, I had a great time. Uh, when I was thrust out as forte. Uh, and uh, when you were there, what what are there any key lessons that you, that sort of st stick with you even now? What did that you, that you took away from that experience? Um, to stay calm under pressure. I mean, we we on a, like for for example, on a Sunday morning, we used to have four or five hundred people checking out. At the same time, we had all these people waiting for to go into the various restaurants for for breakfast. So queues were meeting each other. Well, we know when people queue, they get slightly angry or some people get very angry and it's just making sure you stay calm um and um, i think that's one of the big lessons that you sort of well you can't 
you know, you can only do your best and, you know, help everybody the way you want to be helped. And I think that's that's what stayed with it, really. Are there any specific uh, figures that you worked for or with who who you remember for for being wise in some way? Um, definitely uh, in the Cumberland Hotel, there was a lady called Caroline Franson and she was a house manager and she probably was, I don't know, mid 50s. So she was sort of the end of her career. And she was just amazing. Um, how she was with guests, and especially in the Cumberland, you know, we, we, we had a wide variety of guests. We had the Arabs, we had the Israelis, we had the South Africans, Americans, English. So it was a big mismatch of, 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 of guests at the same time. And she always stayed very calm, very polite, uh, never raised her voice. Um, and yeah, see, from that point, if you're customer service or guest service wise, she was amazing. And I can still I can still see her now um, the way she was she presented herself. So yeah. And in your experience in the in the years since, what are the the role? What are the skills necessary to be an effective operations manager? You you I, I've got notes here. You're responsible for day to day running of the hotel, deputising for the general manager, forecasting and budgeting rooms revenue. What's what what are the, the the sort of key personality traits that you think make make somebody suited to those tasks? Um, I think sometimes you just need to um, have broad shoulders. Um, you listen to people shouting at you. Um, and that, again, I got that from that lady. And I just said to people, if you shout at me, I'm going to leave you alone for five minutes, walk away from it rather than raise your voice as well. Um, and it's just, and also treat people the way you want to be treated. And it's not just guests, it's your staff as well, and your your fellow colleagues as well, and I think that's that's a I think that's a key thing. It's like treat people the way you want to be treated, you know. And it could be in a two star hotel, a five star hotel, or a little B and B, or a guest house somewhere, you know. Try to treat them the way you want to be treated. So, after that very interesting sort of range of, of jobs that you've had in your career, you've decided to open your own B and B, the Hive at fifty two. Um, can you tell us a bit about the property uh, when you set it up? What's what was what's the sort of ethos behind it? Um, <clears throat> the Hive Fifty Two. Um, we're only small. We've got three bedrooms. It's also part of our house as well. Um, it's in an old um, Victorian house from eighteen seventy six. Um, and the reason why we started it a couple of years ago, well, we're talking about eleven years ago now. I was in between um, jobs. I just finished a maternity cover. Uh, revenue manager role and I couldn't find suitable role after so then me and Lucy my wife was talking about it and we always had in the background of our mind had something like that to do um, for me to run it um, so then we start thinking about it we start looking at our house if we can do it there we start looking at other properties we started looking at purpose already B&Bs um, and just looking at the cost and things like that, we decided to do it in our own house. Um, so start the planning permission, uh, start looking at budgeting and costing it and things like that, uh, cutting builders in. And uh, that sort of process probably took us about a year and a half. I think we had the branding before we actually um, started the building work and the name and things like that before we started that. Um, and then we opened in November 2015. Um, and it's a tricky one because we're in a little village in Cheshire. 
Um, would we attract guests? Why are people coming to the Life of the 52 in Weaverham? Um, and um, from the start, really, it, it actually worked. Um, yeah, we're not full every day, but, you know, I can make a living out of it. Um, and through the years, um, with the help of some of the online travel agents, you know, we get bookings through. Uh, and now it's purely based on, on a lot of them on, on my reviews. You know, my reviews are good. I've seen tons of the tons of five star ones on the website. Yeah. And, you know, and I think that helps as well. Um, uh, you know, we get a lot more direct bookings now. And that's what you want, obviously, as a, as a small bi uh, business. Um, and uh, we just want to make sure that people are comfortable. Um, I had a big experience in the hotel industry. My wife, similar, but more from the account side. She's an accountant. Um, so we had all both had ideas of what we wanted to do. We wanted to keep it fairly simple, as in color and all that. So it's all very neutral colors. But we wanted to make sure that some of the key pillars of a hotel were there. So comfortable bed, a great shower, and a good breakfast. Uh, and that's what we do. And you look at the reviews, the beds are always mentioned about comfortable, the, the showers uh, and the breakfast. And then even, you know, I served them with a smile as well. So, you know, there you go. What else do you want? <laughs> I can see on your on your site, you've got the, it's got quite a strong theme going with the, the bees. And uh, I wondered if that was always the case to have a, a, almost a, a sort of miniature branded experience for guests, uh, even when you were planning the renovation, or is that kind of built up over time? It's, it's built up over time, and especially with the bees now being incredibly popular and important. Uh, when we started to look at the branding, um, we had a few ideas of names. And um, then my youngest daughter, who was eight, nine at the time, said, well, why don't you call it the hive? A bit like a beehive, people coming in and out. Um, so that was really set on it. But obviously, with the, the hive being a, um, quite a generic domain name, we 52 because we number 52. So that's why it's the hive at 52. Um, and then with the logo, again, because my two, my, both my daughters were very young at the time, we sort of wanted them involved in it and put them on the website, but not named them. Um, hence the reason that our logo's got a little B for Beatrice, my youngest, and a Daisy for my eldest daughter, Daisy. Uh, then obviously when you call something to the hive at 52, with the Bs in the logo, you automatically then start, you know, uh, getting more involved with the Bs. So... There is bee things in the breakfast rooms. There's a few things in the rooms, but again, it's it's quite subtle. There's a cushion in the room with a bee on it, and that's about it, really. Mm. Um, but then, obviously, the bees are important, so we do use it in our branding, and we do use it in our social media and things like mm. that. So, yeah, that's where the bee, bee really comes from. Well, it has this sort of boutique-y quality. It gives the, the, the property a sort of boutique feel, I think, if you have something memorable like that. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't... Boutique, I don't really know what a boutique hotel is or a boutique B&B is. You know, for me, it's just a good B&B. &B. Uh, we, we sort of say home from home as well. And again, it's a bit of a vague term, but people do say, and we have loads of people returning. So, yeah, maybe a bit like a boutique hotel. We don't call it that on, on our website because, again, it's, a, you know, one person's boutique is, is somebody else's, you know, two-star or something like that. So, um, so yeah. What's it like running the B&B with your wife? I know lots of B&Bs are run by husband and wife teams, but how, how have you found the experience given that you both came from hotel roles in the past? Well, to be honest, I do the majority of it. Uh, it's my, my job. Uh, Lucy works outside 
uh, full time. So, but she's there to help me if guests arrive in the evening and I'm not there. She will help me with breakfast in the morning. But actually the biggest person, the biggest help I've always had is from my daughter. From the age of 12, my eldest daughter, to until she went to uni, she will help me with breakfast and things like that. So she's been more of a constant help. But Lucy is on the background, you know, she's the sensible one. So if I'm upset about something or angry about something, she will sort of just, you know, get the level head on there, the accountant's head on there. So I think that's a, that works really well. Um so yeah, because it's my it's my little baby. Well, it's our little baby, but my little baby because I do it all the time. You know, sometimes she just you know you get a bit uptight, and she really sort of helps me on that side to sort of say, just count to ten, you'll be fine. So when you first decided to open it, and uh, you were beginning to plan the renovation and so on, um, what what was it that appealed to you about the lifestyle at, attached to running your own B and B? Uh, as opposed to staying in kind of wider hospitality, what, uh, I know you want to run your own business. That's perfectly sort of common uh, thing for people want to want to do. But why why B and Bs in particular? Um, well, we 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 when we looked at doing it, we we looked at as I said before, we looked at properties which would have been five, six, seven, eight, and one of the existing ones was twelve rooms. That would have mean meant that be both me and Lucy would be having to do it full time. So. Mm. There would be a lot more pressure on on you know the performance of it. Not mm. to say there isn't now, but there's a little bit less of it. So that's why we decided to make it a three, possibly four bedroom B and B because I can manage it. So because I do the cleaning, I do the welcoming, I do the ironing, I do the cooking and serving for the breakfast. So I do everything, um, and that's one of the reasons why we did that. We didn't really want to go the way that we maybe either had a manager in it or have staff um and that's why we do it as a family um you mentioned earlier um in passing the the otas and um it was in our journalism and reporting at hotel owner when we speak to hoteliers bnb owners often the, the what used to be the case just only a few years ago that the otas were considered a sort of necessary I don't want to say evil in case any of them are listening and necessary, but a necessary, necessary thing evil. that not everybody likes is yeah. maybe a better way of putting it. Um, I wondered what your th- thoughts were on that. Are they absolutely critical to your business or do, what's your sort of, what are your thoughts on them? I wouldn't say they're critical. Um, probably maybe at the, 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 the start uh, when we opened, you know, a new website sort of trying to get yourself um, up the ranking, really. They did help. I mean, I'm only really on one because... The other one we were on, actually, late rooms didn't exist anymore. Um, and they just helped me. Without them, I wouldn't have got people from Australia. I had people from the States, uh, people from South Africa. I wouldn't have them without that. So, yeah, I, I'd say they're a necessary evil, you know. Um, and there is people in the industry who completely don't want to deal with them. That's their own i mean i have them uh, take a booking of them you know okay you pay your commissions and things like that but without those guys i probably wouldn't have had a big chunk of my business because a lot of people who booked the first time with them they're still coming back to me now but they all booked direct, direct yeah. you know and and that's what you want you know and i haven't got two million pounds to get it well, probably 10 two million maybe 10 million to get idris elba to, you know to do an ad for me you know yeah. so um yeah, I think it's important that you use them. Uh, of course, I'd rather not, but 
you know, if I get a booking through um, them, that's a booking. Yeah, swings and roundabouts. The commissions are quite high, but you're getting, you're reaching audiences who you might not otherwise be able to reach. Well, exactly. And to be honest with me, I sort of have a slightly increased price for them as well. So that sort of pays the commissions for me, mm. you know, and people still book through them. So, you know. Absolutely. Um, I wondered uh, in the years, so it was 2015 you started, you opened to guests. 2015, yeah. Yeah. So what have you learned in that time about being a B&B owner? And how, do, how, how, how do you feel you've developed as a, as a, as a business owner in that time? Cause it was your first thing you owned. Um, what, what have you got better at? Um, I think understanding people and the, the, the travel, I mean, uh, with a B&B, obviously it's, it, it's you, uh, sometimes people can be delayed. So they arrive late and it's the impact on your, on your personal life. You know, I, I like to go running, you know, and I run with various groups and sometimes I just can't do it because my guest is delayed. And those are kind of things initially, the first couple, well, first year I was like, oh, they're not here, you know. And again, that's the level-headed side of Lucy um, saying to me, maybe they have a, you know, they're delayed, maybe they have a bad trip or, you know, so it's, it's, it's that really. Um, understanding my guests as well, I mean, you can read them. You know, some people will chat to you, other people you will just want to sit there, have their breakfast and then go. Um, so you learn that as well. You learn, learn your guest. You learn about your guest. Mm. At a personal level, I mean, when I've stayed in B and Bs, it's. Uh, I think what strikes me is quite how interpersonal it is with the owner because they often spend sort of twenty minutes with you, telling you about what there is to do in the the, the immediate locale and things like that. It's. It's, it feels much more intimate as a as an exchange than the than it does in a hotel. That's that's my experience. Oh, that's for sure. Yeah, um, I try not to, and I think that's my my experience within the hotels, the variety of hotels I worked in. That I can read people quite quickly. Um, so if you know, as soon as they arrive, normally you sort of feel if they want to chat, if they want to know stuff, um, and if they don't sort of give those vibes i'll just tell them the necessary things the key uh, the breakfast time and the shower and the tea and coffee facilities and that's it and i'll leave them to it mm. uh so i think that that's a big thing from the experience i had that i can read people um i'm not one of these people who will you know if i can see you you're getting a bit you know itchy and and a bit i won't leave you, i won't sit, tell you a thing about the area i'll leave you to it if you've got questions, you know where I am and you can ask me that. So I think that's the big one. Um, and I yeah, I do agree with you on that. Sometimes, you know, you go to a and b and you just think, I think you want to leave my room now because <laughs> you want to chill. You know, and that's, yeah. and I, but that's, I think, the, the, that's part of my benefit. You know, I get a lot of guests who step, want to stay in a and b uh, because of that reason, because of a bit more person personal service and things like that. And then you other people who just completely avoid it. Um, and I think that's a big challenge for the industry, especially the guest houses and the B&Bs. I think it's still got the perception of quite old-fashioned, and I might be wrong there, but I think that's a perception, especially with the younger people, who I'd rather stay in a hotel because I'm just afraid that, you know, Betty from that B&B will talk to me for an hour, <laughs> and I'd rather not, you know. And I think that's a, you know, I think we need to work on that really. Do you, do you still enjoy the work that, that goes with being a B&B owner? Yeah, I love it. Yeah. I mean, you do go up and down. I've just had a few busy weeks, but I love it. 
I just love being my own boss. You know, it's it's great not having a boss and it's great not having staff. So anything goes wrong, it's down to you. So, you know, you're impacting everything. Um, obviously not the guest, you know, the 5% of a bad journey for the guest, but you can work around that. Um, but yeah, I still love it. Mm. Uh, my wife and my kids sometimes might say, I don't, you know, but I absolutely love it. Um, and you all have bad days, isn't it? So... Uh, so if, if if people amongst our listeners are thinking of starting or one day think they want to start their own B&B, what, um, have you got a couple of pointers for them? Just do it. And that's why we did it. Uh, we were lucky that we, we were able to afford it to, to do the building work. But we decided to do it because we didn't want to be in the stage in 10, 15 years or when we retire is what if or we shoot and things like that. So if you got the opportunity, I'd just do it. It's tough, it's hard, you know, and it's hard because if you work for a corporate hotel or a, a chain hotel, you've got the sales department behind you, you've got head office behind you, you've got other people helping you out. Uh, that is the hard one. You know, it's not just calling head office and say, oh, I've got a gap next week and you, it's all down to you. Um, but you've got the freedom what you want to do um, and um, it's your business. So I, if, I, if I have the chance again, I'll do it again. Um, and I don't think I'll do anything different. So I'd say go for it. Let's say they're, they're about to open in three months. What should they watch out for? Um, what should they would have, uh, watch out for? I think, just, I think you just have to, to um, take the rough with the smooth. Um, and you learn quite quickly. Um, and again, you know, when people phone you, you sort of get an idea of people as well or when you see people. So um, it's hard the first couple of months because you've got people, especially for us as well, you've got people coming into your house. Um, but I think that's one of the benefits of a B&B is that people tend to treat it a lot better than when they go to a, a big hotel. You, okay, really? That's interesting. Yeah, that's my, you know... Um, again, I might be wrong. They seem more, more respectful of the I property. Think it's more respectful of the property, yeah, yeah. Um, and don't um, just stick to your website, you know, use these OTAs, yeah. Um, even if it's just for uh, the initial start of it, it will just get people run coming in and it will get your reviews going as well because that was one of the challenges as well starting somewhere with zero reviews because how what can people are going to perceive mm. um so yeah and uh, that's really what what I'd, I'd say to do and obviously to use your social media as well you soon find out what works and what doesn't work mm. um and also stick to it mm. you know if you don't get any followers after two months on your instagram don't just put it to the side you know it will take a while before you start having find the uh, the, the right way to do yeah, that yeah see people for i mean i've done it been doing it for nine years and initially it was sort of just i was doing it because you had to do it but now i'm consistent and i can now see actually you know people start to follow me and react on my on my social media so what, what are the tricks there then <clears throat> let's take social media marketing how, um, how, how do you what, well i know no experts you know i, I you know i look around me what people do and it's i think it's just for me um it's just being consistent you know post on a consistent basis you know i post four times a week uh on a monday or a wednesday a friday and on a sunday uh, I've che tweaked it a little bit, you know, by feedback by by people in the industry, friends of mine, um, and 
just tweeted a little bit, but it's just being consistent. Really, what, what's really an, exa- an example of a post? What, what type of thing are you saying? So, for example, on the Sunday, I highlight my reviews. So last week, Johnny gave me a review and I put it on there and say, oh, look at this great review. Uh, mm-hmm. And then uh, I'll do a little bit about um, the local area, if something is happening, like... Um, We've got the party um, pol- uh, political party conference in Liverpool and Manchester. So I put a little um, story out saying, well, why pay £300 for a room in Manchester? Come and stay with me. It's a little bit of a drive, but it's those kind of things. So sometimes it's a bit tongue-in-cheek. Um, uh, what else? Uh, I'll do a little bit about my breakfast or I do image of my room um this morning i recorded the video i probably have to record it again and again because i might not like it about book direct so it's it's a mixture really so book direct is a big one reviews i recently on monday i did a um a post about people sharing you know like if you see a post like it share it comment on it you know Mm. my friends and family and it's been shared a lot by a lot of people and those kind of things. So it's a, it's a, it's a mixture of of, uh, of social media posts, really. And how easy is it to tell what kind of effect that's having on bookings? Um, I don't. And again, you know, it, that, that's one of the challenges I have is to actually go through all those things and look at it. I enjoy doing it, and mm. I'm thinking if I get one booking mm. out of my hundred posts, that's it's worth it. Yeah. 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 Uh, I don't spend a huge amount of time on, on creating the posts and stuff like that. I've got the time to do it. Um, but there is people who will go into the insights of, of all the... I do a little bit, but I don't go into detail. Um, and then some people say, oh, yeah, I actually did get a booking from Instagram when I posted on a local, about uh, a local wedding venue and I got a booking for 2024. So that's probably the first time I know that mm. an instrument post has worked for me. Mm. Um, and maybe I'm wrong, and maybe I should really look into it and things like that, but I just enjoy it, and I think, you know, it gets me out. Gives gives some personality as well to the, exactly. to the B&B. Yeah. yeah, and that's one of the things. There's a guy who's an Instagram uh, trainer I know quite well, and he says you need to be in front of the camera as well because people buy off people, mm. and especially with my B&B. You know, and I have done it in the past, and I sort of just go into stage and think, no, they don't want to see me, um, you know, but I need to do a little, more, a little bit more of that as well to be in front of the camera. Um, yeah. And so do you keep an eye out to see what other B&Bs or kind of smaller hospitality businesses are doing in the local area in terms of either improving their properties or their social media or some, some aspect and think to yourself, well, that's a good idea. I'll, I'll give that a go. No, not really. Um I've got some competitors in and I've, I know a few of them, I speak to them, but not really from, from that point. We refer to each other, so again, we do that. Uh, but I don't really look at their social media. And to be honest, I don't think they do a huge amount on social mm. media. Um, I'm looking more to some of the local hotels. Mm. Obviously, they've got a social media department or somebody in the team doing that. Um, so I'll do that, but not really my local B&B competitors as such now. Um well, that's brilliant, um, uh, and I feel I feel like we've got we've had a, a, a got a good flavour of how you run your business and, and your career so far. So the uh, the last part of our podcast episode is to ask you a few um, questions on your tastes and preferences. Oh crikey! Um, so uh, I wondered first off, let's start with your favourite film. 
My favorite film, um, it's a little bit of a sad one, but I think it's a very important subject and it's Schindler's List. That happens to be my favorite film as well. It's, 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 a, it's a very, um, it's not the most upbeat one for, for, for a podcast, but I, uh, I completely agree with you. No, I think that's a masterpiece. And it's, it's, an, it's, a, it's an incredible um, uh, film. And actually up to recently, and my youngest daughter questioned me about it, I had Schindler's List as my ringtone. That is, yeah, that's a, it's a, it's a sad one. Yeah, but, but I just love the piece. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Schindler's List is definitely... So, yeah. John Williams' uh, composition, I think. I think so, Absolutely yeah, gorgeous, yeah. 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 Um, how about your favourite book? My favourite book? Well, I don't really read a huge amount, uh, and I go to stages. At the moment, I'm actually reading a book on how to do a podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a few books. Maybe uh, you could lend it to us after the uh, after the interview. Oh, you're doing great. I mean, you know, I haven't even started yet, so there we are. Um, I've got a few books about running. Uh, in later life, uh, a couple of years ago, I started to get into a running before I didn't like it. So I've got a few running books. And then I've got a few marketing and social media books as well. So I'm sort of mixing and matching mm-hmm. Um in that, but, but before, when I was younger, I used to read a lot of books about uh, Second World War and things like that. Not documentary or, or uh, informative, but books about it. Um, so, yeah. Mm. Um, what's your favourite holiday destination? It's a very hard one. Uh, I love sunny climates, but I'm going to say it's the UK. Um, uh, as a business, we're trying to be more sustainable as well so that's one big thing for me and I'm thinking there's so many beautiful places in this country where okay I'm driving to it but still I stay in the own country I don't have to go on a plane or Mm. anything like that to do it uh we spent a week in Norfolk this year loved it Mm. last year we spent a week in Suffolk loved it so again it's not your typical oh let's go to Cornwall or anything like that there's so many nice places in this country so I'd say the UK excellent um, and do you have any pet hates at all? Do I have any pet hates? Um, again, you know, I should have really had my daughter on, my daughter's on there because that probably gives my whole list. <laughs> um, um, yeah, well, to give one and applicable to my business is people being late mm. and not just guests arriving late I we ask as a small business we ask for arrival times um but just generally speaking I think when people are late I don't like it Mm, mm. um and the final question for me is um what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given in about your career or your all your life um not not as much as as advice but there's two people um who used to say a certain thing. One of them is my old rest manager when I was at Strand Palace. And she, when we, when she could see we were getting stress, she says, in with love and out with stress. Mm. And even now sometimes, I don't say it out loud, but I have it in my mind, in with love, out with stress. And another one is one of my general managers uh, at the Holiday Inn in Guildford. And he used to say, selling is the best way of saving money. It was always, you know, and I know it's an easy and it's a bit of a corny one to say, but he said, if we sell more, 
we don't have to save money. Mm. If the sales go down, then we need to start looking at cutting costs and things like that. He says that's those two things, really. So it's not really a, a particular advice. Um, yeah, I've picked up things for different people, but those two things really spring to mind, especially the in without, uh, in with stress, out with love. It's brilliant. Excellent. Brilliant. Um, Harry, it's, uh, it's been great speaking with you. Thank you very much for coming in to have a chat with us. Thank you very much for inviting me. Thanks for listening to Checking In, a weekly podcast from Hotel Owner, the UK's trusted source of hotel industry news and analysis. Each week we meet a new guest and learn their story, all the highs and lows, triumphs and disasters they've faced and how they got through to the other side. If you like the podcast, make sure to subscribe on whichever podcast platform you listen to. To get more industry insight, head to hotelowner.co.uk and subscribe for unlimited access. If you're interested in sponsoring episodes of the podcast, drop us a line at podcast at hotelowner.co.uk.